For the next hour, you'll be leaving the show me state and entering the show me the money state. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. Prepare to be empowered. Now, here's your show me the money host, Randy Floyd. Good morning and welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Randy and Jake Floyd at Floyd Financial Group. We'll start off with you, Randy. How you doing this fine December morning? You know, I'm doing really well. How about you, Jeff? I'm doing great, thank you. And Jake, how's this Saturday morning finding you? doing pretty good. We're, I'm just kind of thinking about how Mr. Sam Bankman Freed is going to be in jail. <laughs> yeah. He's not, not sure he's going to do well there. Yeah, I don't think so. I wonder if Santa Claus, probably, Santa Claus probably not going to find him in jail. I don't know that they have chimneys that can drop a few things down for SBF, but we'll find out. It is just, uh, well, it's almost a week before Christmas. I hope everybody's doing well and they've got most of their shopping done. We've got a good show lined up for us today. And as you said, Jake, let's start off with SBF. SBF, as they call him, he has not had the best past couple of days, has he? He hasn't. And just for those who don't know, SBF is short for Sam Bankman Freed, who was until recently the CEO of a company called FTX, mm-hmm. which is the second largest crypto exchange on the globe. He'd been in the news the last few months for buying other failing crypto uh, organizations and bailing them out. And now we know why, because he was concerned that one of those would topple his house of cards, which, uh, you know, happened a few weeks ago if, if people have been watching the news. So do we think that this was just an innocent mistake or could the word fraud creep in here? I think that that's the overall implication here is crypto is, as we've talked about on the show previously, is largely unregulated. Mm-hmm. And so that, that creates a lot of problems. It's a little bit like the Wild West, the buyer beware, the caveat emptor. But what's different here is if he did, in fact, commit fraud, that's a whole different ball of wax, right? He can be incompetent, and he can lose everybody's money legally. But if it is true that he committed fraud, that's a whole different thing, and and he can absolutely go to jail for a very long time for that. There was another fellow named Bertie Madoff yeah. uh, you know, that, that had something similar going here mm-hmm. just with uh, investments instead of uh, crypto. But I think that... It's going to be really interesting to see how this shakes out. I'm surprised that the United States had uh, Bahamas go ahead and place him under arrest before testimony and all that kind of thing. Well, I think that points to the fact that there just may be something there. And I can smell a Netflix movie, I mean, coming a mile away. I think they probably <laughs> pretty much already started on that about an hour after he got arrested. But let's get back to what we're talking about here. What are the implications for this as far as cryptocurrency goes, do you think? Well, the implications, I think, for some of the biggest people in Hollywood that invested in this. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, We need to be in the movie to get paid back. Well, like (laughs) it came out that Taylor Swift was a few days away from signing a hundred million dollar deal with FTX. Oh, my God. So, I mean, she was literally about to ink the deal. So there's been other people like Kevin O'Leary, who if you watch CNBC, watch Shark Tank, that's the guy they call Mr. Wonderful. Yep. Um, He had a $15 million deal with FTX. He's trying to salvage his reputation at this point. He's dead to me now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're dead to me. (laughs) 
He's getting crushed like the cockroach that he is. You guys are cold. mood today. <laughs> now, those are the, some of the things that he says on the show. I'm just, I'm okay. just kidding. You're just but repeating that, what he says. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Yeah, that's what he tells everybody else. So and now that the, it's turned, turned tables on him. But I think that overall, this is going to usher in regulation of cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. which will be good for Bitcoin and Ethereum price long term. So we could find a bottom here on the more solid crypto, like I said, Bitcoin and Ethereum in the short term, assuming that he doesn't roll over and expose a lot more problems, Mm -hmm. right? So he's, at this point, he has not really seemed like he's in trouble whenever he's talking on these various interviews. Now that he's arrested, he may be finding anything and everything he can grasp at to get himself off the hook for maybe 10, 15, 20 years of federal prison, and we could see the next shoe or a couple more shoes. And the problem is, is each one that drops causes more cryptocurrency because most of these exchanges, most of their assets are in cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. So if they're forced to liquidate to meet obligations, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You have to sell more Bitcoin to meet your crypto nightmare, which creates somebody else's crypto nightmare, right. which creates somebody else's crypto nightmare. And so at the bottom of this, it'll be interesting to see how far it's gone. Well, this fall for FTX and SBF has been really, really rapid. I mean, it seems like we've only been reading about this for about a week or two. Do you think that this is going to spell the end for cryptocurrency? As you said, there could be some people who are, you know, considering this a buying opportunity. But I think for many others who were doubtful to begin with, they're saying, I told you so. It will definitely not be the end for cryptocurrency. It will be the end for many of what are called altcoins, meaning alternatives to Bitcoin and Ethereum. Usually those two are are assumed that they're legitimate and tangible enough that those are not going to go away. There is a major difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum, though. In There are people pulling the strings on Ethereum. So Bitcoin, a lot of people may or may not realize this, Bitcoin was set up by somebody that we still do not know who it is. Hmm. So it was set up and it's unable to be altered or changed in any way. And so that's probably going to make it more resilient because it's less likely to meet the definition of a security and therefore be less regulated, but also less need for regulation because it's basically a commodity. Bitcoin is basically digital gold. And so I think this will definitely not be the end for Bitcoin, but I do think probably 90% of the other quote-unquote altcoins will probably either go away or just kind of fade off into the distance. But I do think that Eventually, this will turn into a buying opportunity. The problem is, mm-hmm. you know, how much further can Bitcoin fall? And the answer to that question is how many more bad actors are there in the <laughs> system that are going to have their house of cards right. kicked over by regulation or by other bad actors rolling over on them? I think one of the things that's been interesting about this, too, is he has been, in a lot of people's estimation, I've just heard commentary from people on TV and around that you know, he's playing this, oh, man, you know, I'm really sorry I was so dumb mm-hmm. uh, type thing. Right. And I'm not sure how that's going to play. I have heard now, I have not read this, and I don't know it to be factual, but I have heard that his parents are actually attorneys and they are compliance attorneys. Wow. So if yeah. that is actually the case... 
he can't be that. Yeah, that's that's going to be dumb. rough. Yeah. yeah, and I think that <laughs> one of the other things we haven't really talked about here is you know all the campaign donations that FTX has made to the left side of the aisle, mm, and yeah. you know a lot of them have said, oh, we didn't know, and then they donated their contributions to charity. But you know, if you if you look back over the last couple of years of talking about cryptocurrency regulation and things like that, FTX was always right at the front going, Hey, we're all about the regulation, you know, let us let us know how we can help, kind of a thing. And he's got a bunch of pictures with Maxine Waters and mm-hmm. and all these different people from the Democratic House committee, you know, for crypto regulation and all that kind of thing. So it's going to be interesting to see how much dirt sticks to them while there's plenty of dirt there. You know, the media, especially the the mainstream media, has a tendency to sweep as much dirt under the rug as they possibly mm-hmm. can. But, you know, there's there's potentially some higher up implications there as well. Well, this has become quite the hornet's nest. And, you know, not to say that Bitcoin has not been good for some people in the past. You folks here at Floyd Financial Group, after you vetted, even made some investments in Bitcoin and actually made a little bit of money, didn't you? Yeah, so we invested a very, very small amount of client funds when Bitcoin was around 17000 a coin. We sold at roughly 64000 a coin. So mm-hmm. we did make some money. Again, it was a very small investment. We are certainly not big proponents of Bitcoin, but you know what we like to do is find investments that have a greater than 50% chance of working. We don't want to be just gambling at the at the roulette right. table. You know, what we want to do is take calculated risk where the chance of reward and the magnitude of reward is greater than that of loss. And so I don't know if we would ever invest in Bitcoin again. It would just kind of depend on the regulatory landscape. If, if Bitcoin really gets regulated well, Bitcoin will probably go up a lot. That would probably be, you know, the next time we would even look at it. But you know, we're not against any particular asset class at Floyd Financial Group. We just we just want to make sure that the timing is right. What we don't want to be doing is chasing something that's on fire, mm-hmm. like Bitcoin was a year ago, a year and a half ago. You know, where people just didn't think it could come down. I assure you, it can come down. And I have said in the past that I think it's possible it could reach single digit thousands again. Uh, I said that when it was at fifty six thousand a coin or something, and people are like, "Oh, that's crazy." Now we haven't quite got there yet, but we hit fifteen. So, you know, we'll see how this shakes out. But, you know, again, if you're considering making any changes to your portfolio and everything, don't be concerned that we're going to put you all in Bitcoin or or anything crazy like that, because that's just not how we operate. We are mostly conservative and we want to make a good return, but we want to make it with a lot less volatility than some of these other assets have. Well, as you said, Jake, this is not necessarily the end for Bitcoin, but there's still a long way to go before uh, it's safe probably to dip our toe back into the water again. We're talking with Randy and Jake Floyd here, Floyd Financial Group right here in Springfield. We've been talking about FTX and SBF and all the other initials there, and uh, we're just going to have to see how this all plays out. But I guarantee you within a year, you're going to be seeing a movie on this. Once again, if you'd like a no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment financial plan with Randy and Jake there at Floyd Financial Group, maybe you want to sit down and talk about things like Bitcoin or just anything else in your portfolio. Maybe you don't have a portfolio you want to get started. Certainly, we're offering this at no cost and no obligation to the loyal listeners of this program today. All you've got to do to get yours is call 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. Once again, no cost and no obligation, and most importantly, no judgment. You can also go out to the website and request yours at floydfinancialgroup.com. That's floydfinancialgroup.com. Time for a break, gentlemen. Happy holidays. 
We'll be right back with more of Show Me the Money right after this on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. for a heaping helping of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money with your server, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake Floyd. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about something that's kind of like the wild, wild west, (laughs) Jeff, and that's market volatility. Do you think we've had any of that recently? Oh, my gosh, Randy. Have we ever had market volatility? You know, planning for retirement's never a set-it-and-forget-it activity. I think most people know that. There's some unexpected disasters. I mean, we've got market drops, changing laws that invariably cause retirees to reevaluate their plans of action. Ultimately, there's no way to predict everything that's going to cause market downturns, such as diseases and natural disasters or political instability. However, you can prepare yourself for a downturn by having a solid financial plan in place. So let's start right there. Randy, with any sort of market volatility, can a solid plan overcome it? Absolutely, Jeff, we can because, you know, we have a lot of financial tools today that we can use. And quite frankly, tools have gotten better and better and better. You know, it's just like I remember when I got my first car, I had a 1966 Ford Falcon four door with an inline six. I I can picture that car. (laughs) I just pictured it in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, and this one was so yellow, it was almost green. Um, It was near that chartreuse color, right? So (laughs) anyway, uh, used just about as much oil as gas. I kept oil in the back seat, and when the oil light came on, I'd stop and glug, 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 glug some into it, you know. (laughs) But when I got that car, and I look at the cars that we have today, and how much safer and how much longer they run and all the different features that we've added. It's the same way with financial tools in a lot of cases too. We have gotten more sophisticated. We learned more. We understand more, you know, about finance and how all that stuff works. And, you know, for us, helping retirees is our specialty here. You know, we don't get off into the wild weeds. You know, we've been talking about crypto earlier and and all those sorts of things. And we don't get off into anything that's really not secure, not backed up by solid financial backing, anything of that nature. But there's lots of different tools that we can use today that we didn't have in the past. So we have ways to actually build in safety valves for people that are retiring right now in the middle of the, whatever you would call this, I'm not sure what to call it anymore. It's the pandemic-related debacle. How about that? I think that's a pretty good, (laughs) the pandemic-related debacle. I think we're going to start using that. It's a bear market, though. Isn't it a bear market? I mean, that's a technical term, but it means the market has fallen 20% or more from recent highs due to widespread Mm -hmm. panic or pessimism. Would you say that that kind of sums it up, or is it more complex? Well, I think I think it's a little, you know, of course, every time a bear market is probably complex, right? Of course, there's right. market cycles that we have to run, and we know that. Then there's, like we talked about, the other things that come into play that force us sometimes into either a short-term bear market or it can be a longer term. You know, if we look back over our shoulder at the pandemic, you know, February to March, we were down nearly 30%, and then we bounced back and rallied back by year into a plus 20 year nearly, you know? So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's really crazy how volatile markets can be. And so I think that's always been the case 
it just seems so much more now because all the index numbers are so much bigger. You know, when the S&P 500 in 1984 was at 109 points and it went to 120, that was nearly a 10% raise, but it didn't seem like much, right? Today, a 10% raise is 400 points. Right, right, <laughs> so it, right. Everything looks more, ah, you know, big and huge mm-hmm. in your face type thing, just because the numbers have gotten so much larger. But uh, yeah, I, I would say, you know, we're in the middle of a bear market. And, you know, the last bull market we had, the one that we had right up till COVID, was the longest one ever. And we ran for nearly 11 years. So it's kind of like if you stretch a rubber band all the way out to the breaking point, Mm -hmm. when it does finally, and when you do finally let it go or break it, whichever the case may be, there's a lot of energy that has to be released. And I think it's the same way in markets. There's a buildup and a buildup and a buildup. And then we have to have that cycle. We have to have that reversal so that we can, uh, you know, retool and go again, if you will. Randy, is it safe to say that the state of the market when you retire could have an effect on you in the long term? I mean, right now we're in this bear market. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's, that is for sure the case. When people come in and we sit down and we look at risk tolerance and, you know, what they can stand as far as market volatility goes, and, you know, there's, there's as many different takes on volatility and risk as there are noses. And my grandma said everybody has one and they're different, right? So it's right. the same way when we start looking at risk tolerance. We have to look at that, number one. Then we have to really look at the situation we're in in the market and what tools are available to help those people retire. And sometimes, you know, it's really hard to find positive growth. If we look back over our shoulder here over the last year, the only thing that's really made any money would be oil and gas, right? Everything else has kind of been down, 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 down. And if we really look back over our shoulder, you know, for years and years since 1981, the bond market always made money, paid good interest. Well, that's the case until it wasn't, you know. And so in a 40-year time horizon that we had looking back at the bond interest rate slide, if you will, you know, it was great for housing and it was great for pension plans, but it, it's now that we've bottomed out, the other side of that is, you know, bonds lost money this year almost as much as equities year to date. And then oil and gas was the only bright spot. So it was really hard for people to make money. So over this last year, what we've tried to do is look a little bit into fixed income, maybe look into some dividend paying stocks, look at protective factors where we just don't lose as much money. Cash became an attractive asset, you know, where for years people would say, cash is trash, right? So, right, right. But every time when some, we sit down with somebody, you know, we have to assess where they are, what they're trying to accomplish, what the market will bear. And know this, we always, when we have build plans, we always plan for market volatility. So the plan that we build will work through good times, bad times, because we know this, the bad times don't last. The good times don't always last, mm-hmm. but we know that markets will always cycle. And people say, Randy, is the market going to go up? I say, yes. Randy, is the market going to go down? I say, yes. (laughs) You know, it's going to do both. We just have to be sure we build a plan that is going to be resilient and work through all those financial storms. When we have market volatility like we have had, does this present once in a while some buying opportunities? I mean, when things go up and down and up and down like that, do you ever look at the downside and say, well, let's jump on this right now? I guess that's called market timing. Yeah, you know, the market timing, you have to really be careful. The issue becomes 
So let's say that we get a bit of good news. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let me back up and say this. So we have the overall macro thing, you know, the, the whole overall view from 30,000 feet. We can look down and we can say, okay, all the things going on in the world right now point to a down market. However, there's the occasional plane that comes up on your horizon that you have to steer around to miss it, right? Right. That, that's on level with you. So what I guess what I'm saying is the current news of the day sometimes overshadows the macro. And I think that's what's happened a lot here in the last 10 to 11 months. And I will tell you, you know, even being in this business a long time and having lots of data and understanding what's going on, sometimes you get head faked, right? You're like, oh, I thought it was going that way and now it's gonna go that way. So the market timing thing can be a very hard and dangerous game to play, especially if you're going to play it on a daily basis. I think we've talked on here before that I had a neighbor, you know, he was, he was a day trader right? until he wasn't. And then he was back to work with two jobs. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's easy to be a day trader when the market goes straight up for 10 years. Yeah. I remember that story. He used to live in back in you. He had a new uh, pickup truck and all sorts of things. And then one day he didn't have those things and he had had a job. So things cycle uh, completely there. So Randy, considering all the things that you have spoken about here, what would you say is your best practical advice that you can give to our listeners? Yeah, so a lot of people during the pandemic, you know, the IRS or the federal government gave people some breaks on taking money out of 401ks and paying taxes over two years and all sorts of different things. But as a general rule, if you're funding a 401k, you know, you don't want to pull money out of there any earlier than you have to. Number one, you have to pay taxes. If you're under 59 and a half, you're going to have to pay a 10% penalty to get that out of there sometimes. Now, there are exceptions to that that I won't get into right now. I mean, there's a 55 rule and some things that you can do under Rule 72T that allows you to pull money out without paying penalties. But it's never a good idea to pull money out of your 401k early because you're afraid. You know, don't make decisions about your investments based on your emotion. And that's easy to say and hard to do, especially if somebody is managing their own money because they're sitting there going, okay, Am I off into uncharted waters that I don't understand, you know, is one of the things that comes up. So making, you know, hasty decisions can be very, very counterproductive for you. Also, you know, when the news comes on, and you've seen this, Jeff, I'm sure, you know, when the news will come on, I'll watch the market futures and somebody will say something that nobody expected. And then the market will have this rapid knee-jerk reaction. And then generally that that knee-jerk reaction settles back down and the market goes right back to where it was. And so many times people get caught there and you can get caught to the upside or you can get caught to the downside. So I think the most important thing that we could say here as far as practical advice goes, and I always go back to this, I know I sound like a broken record, Mm -hmm. but we need to have a plan that addresses market volatility and the income that people need in retirement. Yeah, and I think that's the big takeaway here, Randy, is that markets are going to go up, they're going to go down, I mean, it's been volatile. It'll be volatile again. And I'm sure that in uh, people's retirement, we're going to have this happen a time or two once again. But as you said, the takeaway is to have a plan. So for our listeners uh, right now who have been listening to this program and this segment, and they're thinking to themselves, well, I don't have necessarily a concrete plan. Well, you can get one. It's not going to cost you a dime. No cost, no obligation. Most importantly, no judgment at Floyd Financial Group. If you'd like to get in and sit down with Randy and Jake and discuss your individual personal financial situation and design a plan that will get you through these financial storms. Call 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233. No time like the present. It's the end of the year. Why not start 2023 off on solid footing with a good solid financial plan? 
417-889-7233. Some slots are opening up here just after the beginning of the year. Go ahead and take yours. You can also request your financial plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money. Happy holidays to you. Hope you're having a great weekend. We're going to be right back with more of our program right here on 104.1 FM KSDF, where Springfield comes to talk. with your financial catch of the day. And it's a big one. Here's more Show Me the Money Radio with your host, Randy Floyd. Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm here with Randy. This is Jake Floyd. And this segment, we're going to be talking about real estate as an asset class and as an investment. And Jake, I've been calling this unreal estate because in the past couple of years, we've seen some unprecedented gains in the prices of homes, not as much here in the last bastion of sanity as in the left and the right coast there. But nevertheless, real estate has been at some historic highs. And uh, I mean, interest rates were at some historic lows. Now things are beginning to sort of even out a little bit. Interest rates in the six and seven percent range at this point in time. And some people are saying, well, real estate's coming back to normal. Other people are saying, no, it's going to bottom out completely. But still, as an asset class, for people who are getting into retirement, close to retirement, or in retirement, what do you think about real estate as an asset class? So I think that a couple of tidbits that I want to give here real quick. So we've talked in the past about the money supply and overall central bank interest rate policy affecting the stock market. Well, as that affects the stock market, it affects the real estate market, certainly the residential real estate market in a very similar way, meaning higher interest rates really put the brakes on. And on the other side of this, whenever we start to reduce interest rates and uh, start printing money again, which we probably will, that's going to be really good for the housing market too. And I think that one of the questions we get a lot in here is, you know, well, the stock market's bad, so should we buy real estate? And if you're not wanting to buy stocks, you probably shouldn't be wanting to buy real estate because the same thing is going to happen to real estate that's going to happen to the stock market. And if the Fed is going to continue to raise interest rates, it's going to continue to put pressure on the housing market. One of the things that uh, a lot of people don't realize, certainly a lot of our listeners that do not have any debt to speak of of any kind, if you haven't applied for a home loan, you may not be aware that you know a year ago you could get a sub 3% 30-year mortgage. Right. And a couple of months ago, it hit 7.4%. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge amount of interest. The average home in the United States, now around here, the average isn't, isn't quite this high, but in the United States, the average home sells for around $400,000. Mm-hmm. So if I'm paying 7% interest, that's $28,000 a year yeah. in interest. That's a lot of interest, my friend. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's hard to overstate how important that is for the housing market. And over the next little bit here, I think the housing market probably has quite a bit further to go before we find a bottom. Right. And a lot of people may make the argument to you, Randy and Jake, well, you know, because interest rates are so high and so many people can't buy homes these days, younger people, that there's going to be a great demand for rental property. So I'm going to buy homes and rent them out, even though interest rates are high. Is that a good way to to look at things or is there just a lot more to it than that? So if you want to be a landlord, 
the rental market will always exist and it will always be a pretty good business. It's a way to build equity, even if you're buying homes with loans uh, and then using the rent payments to pay it for you. Or if you own the home outright, it can be a great source of income. But it takes a certain kind of person to be a successful landlord. Right. You have to be a little bit detached from the personal aspect mm -hmm. of, of the rental. And some people just don't have that in them. I'm actually one of those people. I have a really hard time right. being firm with a renter. I have a little bit too big a heart and I mm -hmm. will allow people to rent from me that maybe I shouldn't. And so for me, it's too much hassle, too much headache, too much heartache. But if you are inclined to be in the rental business, um, it can be a very good business. As far as to your question, I do think there is a legendary buying opportunity coming for rentals, particularly like Airbnb vacation type properties that are out on the coast and stuff where they've gotten really run up price wise. I really think there's an opportunity coming in the next six to 12 months, roughly, depending on a few factors where we're going to have interest rates headed back the other way, meaning interest rates are coming down while the housing market is finding its bottom, meaning the prices are going to be at its minimum and you're going to be able to maybe finance them again at four or 5% or maybe right. even less. That's kind of the golden opportunity. Now it's not going to last very long, but I think if you're looking at the housing market, the rental market, the Airbnb market, the vacation real estate market, it's too early to be jumping in here. I mean, you can do it if you want to. Just realize that you may have to have to watch prices fall a significant amount before we find a bottom again here. And for me, it's really just about finding the best buying opportunity. I just don't think that it's cheap enough yet. Well, to your earlier point, Jake, about being an active landlord, as you said, you don't have the heart for it necessarily. I don't think a lot of people do. You don't want to throw somebody out on the street if something unexpected happens to them and they can't pay the rent. But remember, that is a uh, business. And a lot of people don't realize the expenses of being an active landlord as well, too. Somebody moves out. Many times you have to paint the walls again. You've got to clean the carpet. You've got to fix things and roofs go bad and uh, furnaces break, so forth. So there are a lot of expenses to being a, a landlord. And then if you have somebody else manage it, there's a management fee as well, too. But if people are still dead set on getting into real estate, are there opportunities in passive real estate where you're just not an active landlord? There are. And, and to be clear on the last point, um, I have great respect for the landlords out there. I'm just simply saying it's not for me necessarily. Right. And I think there's probably quite a few people that it's not for them either, either from a time standpoint or just the day to day of being a landlord. But uh, to your point on the passive side, so there's a lot of different ways to passively invest in real estate. The problem is, is if you are passive in the real estate, you are paying two or three other groups of people that you're not doing if you're the direct landlord. Mm -hmm. So it becomes less and less attractive from a return standpoint, the more organized and the more passive you are. That doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing, but the risk associated with real estate is fairly high. Most people would not think of it that way, especially if you just own rental properties. But when you're getting into REITs and things like that, there's a pretty significant chance of loss. You know, we're seeing with Blackstone and some of these other, you know, companies that are starting to get their clocks cleaned because they thought that, you know, real estate was just going to go up forever. And, you know, when people start saying things like that, well, well real estate's going to go up six, 7% a year mm -hmm. in perpetuity, no. you know that, that you're, you're getting close to the end. 
Right. And let me just add one thing in here, Jake. We haven't seen the fallout that's going to come from Blackstone yet. Let me tell you, because a lot of a lot of people don't realize Blackstone is really a, a large private equity group, and we had a lot of pension funds putting tons of money into Blackstone, part of the ESG movement and all this sort of thing. They wanted to get out of oil and gas and things like that, and they put a bunch of money over there. That deal is just beginning. So we had a couple things happen with interest rates bottoming out and going up. Pension plans got hit that way this year. Plus, they're going to get hit by these Blackstone investments and these real estate investments and these private equity groups. It's going to get really interesting. Well, and to the pension plan point, too, there's a lot of pension plans that were way over-risked. And I don't think we've seen the real fallout from that yet. So a lot of these pension plans were investing directly in cryptocurrency, crypto hedge funds, you know, like Tiger Global and some of these other ones. Some of these hedge funds that were way over risked and buying things like Carvana and Bitcoin and their hedge fund were down like 70%. That's a huge number. And some of these pension funds, you know, they're trying to to uh, feel good about it right now. But I think that if this thing continues for another six months, this this down market, this kind of tough market, some of these pension funds may start to struggle. And if that happens and they and maybe even have one or two of the municipal type pension funds go under, then they have to liquidate. Now we're back to that kind of house of cards thing that we were talking about with crypto, but maybe just with the stock market where the forced liquidation uh, really starts to, uh, you know, bleed red quite a lot. And so I'm not predicting pension plans are going broke or anything like that, but I do think there are going to be a few bad actors that have really over-risked themselves in what should be a pretty stable and safely managed portfolio in a pension fund. I mean, you don't want your pension to be backed by Carvana and, uh, you know, Solana cryptocurrency or something, you know, you want your pension to be in things that you know are going to be there. And, and a lot of these, especially on the coast, I mean, I read some things on some of the portfolios of these pension funds and it's just, it's just crazy. Some of the, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't invest my play money as riskily as they're investing the pension fund. And so Mm -hmm. I do think there will probably be some fallout from that in Blackstone, BlackRock, some of these other companies that have had more speculative type investments with the pension funds. You really could trigger some some potential fallout there, but that remains to be seen. Yeah, Jake, you piqued my interest when you mentioned Carvana. I mean, their stock down about 97%. What I'm reading uh, recently is that they're on the brink of uh, bankruptcy. What happened with Carvana? Well, I think Carvana's business model was predicated on the fact that used cars were going to be appreciating like the same as housing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that, you know, there's been a period here where certainly trucks are probably the biggest thing that are like this, where the, you have these vehicles that are, you buy them and then four years later you sell them for more than you bought them for. Right. You know, that's that's one of these anomalies that we can see has to be righted to fix this whole market. You know, when you go to your local fast food restaurant and, you know, people have face tattoos and, you know, gauges and they're smoking outside with the uh, with the headset on in the drive through. And then they look at you and go, oh, you want to order from the drive through? And then they go inside the building and then, oh, yeah, what can I get you? They don't wash their hands. I mean, things that would have been egregious. Yeah two years ago yeah, that you had been fired on the spot for, oh, yeah. you know, are, are just totally commonplace now. Yeah. You have, you know, bank managers looking the same way. Yeah. Um, you know, places where, 
you know, if you wanted to work at a bank, you had to have a spotless record, yeah. no, no showing tattoos, you know, mm-hmm. perfectly manicured, all that kind of thing, because it used to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Now, you, I mean, none of that applies. And I think that those are some of the inequities that are going to have to be righted. But right now, everybody's just hiring anybody who can fog a mirror right. because they have to have a body to fill that spot. Eventually, the jobs market will get competitive enough the other way again, where you might actually have to do something for your paycheck. I love it when you get up on the soapbox uh, because I hopefully there's a little room for me, too, because I agree with you completely on that. We're talking with Randy and Jake here, Floyd Financial Group. Hope you're enjoying the radio program this morning. We've been talking about real estate and about pension funds and most recently what's gone wrong with Carvana. I think really the key to all of this is to have a plan no matter what comes your way, market volatility, what have you. If you've got a plan to mitigate the risk there, you're going to be in pretty good shape. To get yours, call 417-889-7233 for your complimentary plan as in no cost, no obligation, most importantly, no judgment, no minimums at Floyd Financial Group. Once again, it's 417-889-7233. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Happy holidays, everybody. Hope you're having a great Saturday. Thank you so much for including us in your weekend plans. We'll take a quick break. Be right back with more of our show right here on 104.1 FM, KSTF, where Springfield comes to talk. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good. Because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to Show Me the Money. And in this segment, we're going to talk about a checklist, Jeff, here that we were we were reviewing earlier today that really makes sense for people five years and closer to retirement. That's right, Randy. Retirement's going to be here before you know it. Are you ready? So let's talk about this checklist, Randy. What is, do you think, the number one thing that people should consider five years away from retirement or even fewer years than that? What's the number one thing that you want to do? Yeah, so there's a pretty good list of things here. But number one, I think really it's important for people to be sure they've looked at their debt situation and that they get themselves out of debt if they can. Mm -hmm. I think, number one, that takes a lot of pressure off retirees, just having a lower monthly budget and knowing that if things get a little bit difficult, they can easily scale back just a little bit. But boy, if you got a debt that you're having to pay on and you're paying interest and the interest rates are going up like they are right now Mm -hmm. in retirement, that puts a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. So I would say, you know, if you can, uh, if it makes sense, be mortgage free. Uh, If you've got credit card debt, get that paid off. I often tell people, I think that most couples, except in really high interest rate situations like we are maybe right now, most couples are are always going to have a car payment. And generally, you know, speaking, now some people say, I just want to pay that thing off. I don't like having monthly payments. Right. I will say this, if I can get the car company to help me finance that at a low rate, 
uh, you know, under probably 3%, I would prefer to use their money as mine, especially if that money is coming out of a retirement account that may be taxable. You'll probably pay less in interest than you pay in taxes. Plus, then you have the money still in your account to work for you. So number one, I would say is tackle the debt. Let's get that thing under control or eliminated completely. And I've heard there's good debt and bad debt, Randy. And of course, bad debt would be those high interest credit cards. You know, maybe you've got multiple cards. If that is the case, prioritize those. Uh, Call up and find out what the interest rate is and attack the ones with the highest interest rate first if you're not paying it off completely and go from there. I think we call that a debt snowball. And I've heard that a mortgage can be good for some people. But as you said, I I mean, if you just want to sleep well at night, you uh, want to know that you own your home. Nobody can really take it unless you don't pay the taxes. Tackle your debt and pay off your mortgage as well, too. So number one is to tackle your debt. What is the next thing on the list? So number two, I would say you need to educate yourself about Social Security and also I'm going to throw in here Medicare kind of falls in this same thing because Mm -hmm. a lot of times people are retiring at 65 and, you know, that means they're going on Medicare for health insurance and, you know, they're also going to be setting up their Social Security for the very first time. So the thing that I would say, people need to really look at their Social Security statement. They can go out online, build a login, go out there and look and see where you are and you know, what you're going to get at every age to really kind of gauge maybe where you think you might want to retire. And as you look at those numbers, there's some calculations you'll want to take into consideration as well. So if I start at 62, you know, uh, versus 67, how much more per month is that payment Mm -hmm. and divide it into the income you lost by not going early and see how long it takes to catch up. That's one of the things that I always like for people to do. And that's one of the things we do here in the office when people come in to sit and talk with us. And of course, we're more than willing to help people calculate this and go through all this, you know, when they come in to see us. But I think it's important that they educate themselves on that. Also look at what spousal benefits may look like Mm -hmm. uh, if somebody is taken out of the picture early. But you need to really educate yourself on filing for Social Security and how that works. And then that's going to really lead us into step number three, Jeff, unless you have some comment on Social Security. (laughs) Well, also, uh, as you said, when you take your benefit with Social Security will determine the amount of money that you're going to get. And with Medicare, I think people should definitely research what Medicare covers and a few things that it does not cover. So that being said, let's go on to number three, Randy, tracking your monthly expenses. Right. This is something, you know, that we talk about a lot in here and we we often ask people, so what's your budget? And they go, well, I don't know, you know, and and that's normal. So (laughs) and and I, I would tell you that most people as they get close to retirement, don't know. And the reason is they've worked uh, a lifetime. Maybe husband and wife have both worked a lifetime, 35, 40 years. They've raised a family. That family's out the door. They're probably making more money than they've ever made in their life right now. And so there's plenty of money in the checkbook. And so the budget is, eh, you know, we have more money this month than we had last month. And so I'm not too concerned about a budget. But when we are ready to retire, we're going to turn off the wage income. And now we got to turn on the investment and Social Security and potentially a pension income. It's going to be important that you know where your money is going. So you want to be able to track your monthly expenses. And it'll also give you really a much better handle on how much money you're going to want and need in retirement because you're going to be thinking about, well, you know, we really wanted to travel here. We wanted to go there. We wanted to do this. And I'd like to have a greenhouse and I'd like to have mm-hmm. a new mountain bike every month or, you know, whatever the, yeah. <laughs> whatever that Sounds thing good is. To me, <laughs> Take it easy. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think it's just important that they start to look at that and really figure out where they're going to be. And then there's no surprises, right? 
Yeah, exactly right. Tracking your monthly expenses many times can be an eye-opener because you'd be surprised the amount of money that you spend on things that you don't necessarily need. I mean, you go to Starbucks every day. I mean, that's six, seven bucks for a cup of coffee there, depending upon what you get, times five and times... Uh, or DoorDash. Yeah, or DoorDash is another one, too. I mean, shoot. I mean, you're wasting some money out there. So uh, definitely track <laughs> your monthly expenses. Very, very important. Next one, Randy. Number four, I think, is probably one of the most important things that you want to consider. What is that? Yeah, so number four is compare your tax structures for your future retirement accounts and contributions. So basically what I mean by that is, what are we funding right now? Are we funding a 401k where we get tax treatment that is favorable for us now? Or are we funding a Roth that gives us favorable tax treatment in the future? And some people say, well, which one is right? You know, some people say, well, I know taxes are going up, so obviously the Roth is the best choice. Not necessarily, not so fast. I mean, it could be that that's partially right. It could be we want to do a partial contribution to a Roth or something like that. The reason I bring that up is if you're making a lot of money right now and you're in a, let's say, combined with state and federal tax, you're at 35, 36%. And in retirement, if you're going to be making a hundred, right in today's world, a hundred and ten, hundred and twenty thousand dollars, you're going to be in a much lower tax bracket when you retire than you are now. So it might make more sense to fund what you can into that tax advantaged account today and grow that money, knowing that any money that you put in there, the federal government didn't get, (laughs) and you're going to get to fund your retirement partially with money that they didn't get. So, you know, it's well, it's a balancing act. So I often tell people, you know, if you are, you know, if you're in the 22% tax bracket or less today, you know, we probably should talk about that. Again, I think we need to have a conversation with everybody about it. But to give you just off the top of my head advice, I think that the biggest thing is, uh, yes, it's going to be nice to think about having some tax-free income coming in, but also we got to consider the taxation here and now and how much money it might cost us and what we might give up in taxes today. So deep conversation, more than we can talk about right here. If people want to talk about it, just, you know, give us a call 417-889-7233 and we'll sit you down and we'll walk through (laughs) it and we'll have a good meeting of the minds and you'll leave enlightened. (laughs) That's exactly right. And tax is one of the biggest expenses that you'll have in retirement. And Randy, that leads me to the next one, the other biggest expense that you'll have in retirement. What is that? So healthcare expenses is one of those things that most people are kind of in denial about, you know, many times, because if they come in and they're healthy, you know, it's kind of like me. I mean, I'm a pretty healthy guy right now, but we never know what's going to happen. You know, uh, case in point, we have one couple here that I was sure, just sure that he was going to predecease her because Mm -hmm. he was so much more unhealthy than she was. And lo and behold, the next thing we hear is she has passed away. Mm. Never know what a day will bring. And you don't know what a day will bring. And, you know, people, all of a sudden, I see people, you know, and they say, I'm saying, so how you been? You know, maybe it's only been three or four months. Well, I had two strokes since I saw you last. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I'm like, whoa, you know. Or they come in with a walker, you know, or, you know, or the wife doesn't come in. She had to stay home because of a health issue or the husband, whatever the case may be. So we like to think, you know, that we're invincible, but, you know, we're not. So we need to be thinking about uh, how are we going to handle long-term care expense? Does, does that worry us? You know, it's a conversation we have with everybody about that. Are we going to take a Medicare Advantage plan when we turn 65? Or are we going to have a, a supplement plan? The difference is one you pay monthly premium on, one you, one you do not. One gives you a little bit better cost containment than the other one potentially. The other one you pay co-pays for everything. So health care is one of those things that everybody should be really looking at and considering. And again, if people want to have a talk with us about how those things work, they can just 
just give us a call. We're talking about a checklist for anyone five years from retirement. Randy, what is the next one? Well, the next one is, you know, if you're within five years of retirement, we call that the retirement red zone. And we need to be thinking about how are we invested? What's going on in the market currently? Are we in a recession? Are we in a bull market? Are we somewhere in the middle? What's going on here, Bob? You know, (laughs) is the thing that we have to be asking ourselves and making sure that we're positioned to where if the worst happens or the best happens, are we going to be able to get our just desserts through there to help put the finishing touches on our retirement? And so it's really something that really needs to be addressed at least five years out. And we need to really, by looking at all the things we talked about, your monthly expenses, what your budget is, looking at tax pictures and all that sort of thing, putting that all together with your asset mix and how that's going to look looking forward, leading you up to that retirement day. And then once we get that kind of built today, it's not something we set and forget. We've got to go ahead and tweak it and manage it and sit and talk about it and you know make the adjustments as we go through life. But number six is assess your investment risk where you are right now. And the next item on our retirement checklist, uh, Randy, has to do with estate planning. What is that? Yeah, basically making sure that your beneficiaries are going to get what you want them to have without the court system being involved and trying to mitigate taxes as much as possible. So, uh, you know, every asset class, depending on if it's tax deferred or if it's a, you know, retirement account or a Roth, you know, retirement account, or if it's real estate, they all have different tax what ifs that are attached to those things, as well as, like we said, keeping the court system out of our business. So keeping beneficiaries updated and set up in the most efficient manner possible possible is what I would say number seven is. Yeah, and update your will once in a while. I don't know if you've had it happen, Randy, but we've had people come in and they bring in a will and it looks like the Declaration of Independence. I mean, it's that old, it's yellow, it's old, it's crinkly and so forth. And it says they got two kids and you go, Bob, I thought you had four kids. Oh yeah, now we do have four. So update your your will periodically. And if you don't have a will, I'm sure that somehow there at Floyd Financial Group, can you help people with a will or a trust? Yeah, we have a law office in the building here with us uh, that can help with those things if people would desire to do so. Yes. We are not lawyers. We do not practice law without a license. We have a (laughs) licensed attorney that does that. That's right. Okay. Well, we wanted to get that out there. Certainly, uh, Floyd Financial Group can help you with that. And then finally, what is the last thing on the checklist, gentlemen? So the last thing is, is you want to keep the conversation going, not only between you and your kids and your family and all that to understand what's going on. You know, we have a lot of folks, not so much now, but the generation, my parents, let's say, Jeff, you know, they were pretty close to the vest on, they didn't tell kids about anything that they had, didn't want anybody to know anything until the last moment. I think today we're seeing a lot more openness with people retiring and their kids are knowing more and more about what's going on with them and, and their retirement and what they may be inheriting. But I think the most important thing is, is you need to have somebody to talk to that you can keep the conversation going and have, have regular checkups and reviews because life changes, rules mm-hmm. change, regulation changes, tax codes change, trust law changes once in a while, once in a blue moon actually on that one, but, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but it does happen. And so uh, it's not something where you can just, you know, like you said, put it away like the Declaration of independence, Uh, (laughs) you know, and you're still giving your kids to your neighbor down the road if something happens to you. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) So keep the conversation going and the topics of conversation can include such things as, uh, you know, what do you want to do with your time in retirement? A lot of people don't think about that. 
you can't sit around all day waiting for, you know, Judge Judy to come on or Wheel of Fortune, something like that. Where do you want to live? Do you want to stay in your current home? Do you want to have a vacation home? Do you want to move completely? And then how much financial support do you want to give to the kids? There's just so many things to talk about when it comes to retirement. We've been talking about your retirement checklist for anyone to five years or less from retirement with Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Once again, if you want to talk about your retirement, setting yourself up with a proper plan, no cost, no obligation, 417-889-7233 to get yours. 417-889-7233. As I said, it's not going to cost you anything. Most importantly, there is no judgment. Randy and Jake will meet you where you are. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com. Gentlemen, out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time, but most importantly, I want to thank the fine people here of the last bastion of sanity, Springfield, Missouri, for their time. For Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great holiday weekend. Make it safe. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk.